So when I was in seminary, one of the requirements in seminary was that you would have a couple mentors. And one of my mentors was Vaughn Swanson, who is actually on our elder board now, which is pretty special. But I can remember uh, my first year of seminary, Vaughn and I went for a walk. And we're walking on this trail. My first year of seminary also was my first year of marriage. And so Vaughn and I are walking, and I start confiding in her about some marital difficulties. <laughs> and I start doing, you know, as you do. Well, he always, and he never, and if he would only, and he just. And Vaughn says to me, oh, yeah, I gave up on trying to control Barry years ago. <laughs> And I was like, is that what I'm doing? <laughs> but her advice, that comment, was so wise and so spot on, both relationally and theologically. And in this message, I want to tell you why. Because we're in this series called Standing on Shaky Ground, Five Ways to Kill a Relationship. And what we're doing is we're looking at like core sins the Bible talks about that we bring to our relationships. And we're talking about how we can repent of those, turn from those, and love like Jesus loves in our relationships. And so last week we looked at number one way that you want to kill a relationship, be proud. And today we're talking about number two, way to kill a relationship, have unfair expectations. Unfair expectations on a relationship are all about seeking to control the other person. And so our map for this morning is that we're going to look at three stories, and uh, the scriptures kind of through and intertwined with these stories. Three stories about um, Johnny, Jack, and Joey. So that's our map for this morning. But first, our scripture passage. It comes from James chapter 4, where we read this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. This is the word of the Lord. First story is about Johnny. So just imagine for a minute that uh, mom and dad walk into the living room and Johnny's sitting on the couch and Johnny's playing video games. And mom launches into a tirade. She says to Johnny, you need to stop playing so many video games, and you need to go clean your room, and you haven't done your homework. You need to go do your homework. Here's the thing. Johnny feels no need to do any of those things. <laughs> like the only thing that Johnny needs in that moment in his little mind 
is for like the crazy lady to get out of the room. <laughs> and if I could like eliminate one phrase from my own life and my own parenting, it would be the phrase, you need to, da -da 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 -da. if I could just be like queen for a day and make it illegal for all of us to say one thing, it would be, you need to. And just so you know, everything I'm going to say in this sermon is like aspirational in my own life. <laughs> but if we could just change it for, because here's the thing, you need to go fill in the blank. That is like the kernel of nagging. The only person mom can control is mom. But as a mom, I can tell you, I am constantly trying to control my kids. Now, here's the thing. If mom took control of herself in that scenario, it might look like this. She walks in the room. Johnny is sitting playing video games. And she says, so Johnny, tomorrow we're going to the Broncos game. And I'm going to go, and your dad's going to go, your sister's going to go, and it's going to be super fun, and we really want you to go. And here's the deal. The people who get to go to the Broncos game are the ones who have completed their homework, cleaned the room, and picked up the toys I asked to be picked up in the backyard by 6 o'clock tonight. And we're going to have an inspection. And uh, those who have done it get to go to the game, uh, and it's up to you. You don't have to do those things if you don't want to. Um, here's the deal, though. Uh, if you choose not to do those things, do you remember Mabel, the babysitter from hell? <laughs> I called her, and she is available. So the choice is yours, and those who don't do what they need to do will hang with Mabel tomorrow while the rest of us go to the game. And then what mom does, because she's in control of herself, is she just calmly says, I got to go do my chores now, and she turns, and she walks away. In that moment, Johnny has this thought he's never had before. I need to go do my homework. See, it's the boundary and the freedom to choose that gives Johnny the opportunity to take ownership of his own life. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. See, mom has a desire. She wants a clean house. Johnny has a desire. He wants to keep playing video games. Mom can only control mom. She cannot control Johnny. Now, since she is an authority figure in his life, she can set a boundary and provide freedom for Johnny to choose. But first and foremost, mom has to get control of herself. She has to take control of her own life. When she walks into the room and says... You need to do your homework, and you need to not play so many video games, and you need to get upstairs right now, and you need to clean up the toy. She's out of control. She's attempting to control what is not hers to control, and that's just frustrating to everybody. See, the Bible uses this language. It's kingdom language. 
right? Jesus spoke so much about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. And the Bible talks about how you and I have a kingdom. Everybody has a kingdom. So when God creates human beings, he says, I want you to exercise dominion. So you have a kingdom. And your will is to reign in your little kingdom. Here's the problem. The problem is... When I don't take responsibility for my kingdom, but I attempt to control your kingdom. When I don't take responsibility for my kingdom, but I want to take over and control your kingdom. And I have these desires in my little kingdom, but rather than own them and be responsible for them, Rather than saying, I feel, I want, what do I say instead? I try to give them to you. I blame you. I say, you make me so mad. You know, nobody can make you anything. In every situation, you have a choice on how you respond. So what the Bible calls self-control. See, if we took a poll of a bunch of church-going followers of Jesus who are somewhat familiar with the Bible, and if we were to just say, um, what's like the most famous Bible verse in the book of Joshua, like from your Sunday school days? Most people would probably say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I even saw that on a plaque at like Target or something for sale like the most famous verse from the book of Joshua. As for me and my house, I will serve, we will serve the Lord. But if you were to ask most people, like, what's the verse that comes before that verse? Most of us have no idea. Blank stares. We don't know. Here's the verse right before that verse. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, Johnny, if it's disagreeable to you to do your chores, that's fine. That's your choice. You just won't get to come to the game. If it's disagreeable to you to admit your addiction and get some help, that's fine. You just can't live in the house. These are limits. These are boundaries. These are taking responsibility for my kingdom, not trying to control yours. So that's Johnny. Okay, let's talk about Jack. Actually, I want to talk about Jack and Diane, two American kids growing up <laughs> in Heartland. Jack is going to be a... <laughs> um, okay, just imagine Jack and Diane from the song. They get married, and they come to you for counseling, for marriage counseling, and they walk in your room, and uh, you say to them, so what's the problem? And uh, Jack says, uh, well, she's so angry all the time. She's always trying to control me. And so you look at Diane. You say, why are you always trying to control him? Well, because he's so irresponsible. He never does what he says. And you say, well, wh why don't you ever do what you say? Well, if she would just, and you're sort of like this, right? It's like a, it's like a tennis match. You're like, woo, <laughs> you know, back and forth. What's happening is nobody is owning themselves. No one is taking responsibility for themselves, but both are trying to control the other. 
the basic principle of happiness in life, it goes something like this. You want to be miserable? Focus on what you can't control. That's a recipe, recipe for misery. You want to be miserable? Focus your energy and your attention on things you ha don't have any control over, including other people. You want to be happy? <laughs> Turn your focus and your attention on the things that you actually have some influence on, like yourself and your response. The thing I love about theology is it, it's always explaining life. I mean, God created us in his image. It's what the Bible calls the imago Dei. We are created in the image of God, the imago Dei. Now, what is the image of God, the character of God? Well, God is a lot of omnis. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. And we're made in God's image, but without the omni part. So God is omnipresent. God is present everywhere. You and I are made in the image of God, we are present without the omni. So we're not present everywhere like God is. We are present where? Right here. God is omniscient. That means God is all-knowing. And we're made in his image. We have the ability to know, but we're not all-knowing. We're made in the image of God. And in a similar way, God is omnipotent. That means he's in control of everything. We're made in his image without the omni. There's only one version of control the Bible talks about you and I having. And what is it? Self-control. The Bible talks about self-control, not other control. And here's the thing. It's almost like our scripture passage in James you know, what, what causes these quarrels and fights among you? It's these desires that battle within you. It is almost like inside of us, we all have a little jar with wishes, hopes, and dreams. These are your desires. You might have desires. Most of us have desire to be to be seen, to be valued, to be respected. You probably have some wishes, hopes, and dreams, some desires around how money gets spent, about what your vacations look like, about how you spend your holidays. You have these wishes, hopes, and dreams. Here's where we get into trouble. When we take these good desires, these wishes, hopes, and dreams, and we dump them into a different jar, called expectations. And then what do we do with that jar? We hand it over to somebody else. Here's the problem with that. Let's say that I have a wish, a hope, and a dream, that something very simple like that Tim would bring me flowers. Once I pour that in and I hand it over to him, and I expect, and I demand, and I seek to control 
by saying, here's my expectation. Okay, two things. There's two problems with that. Number one, if Tim turns around and buys me flowers, how thankful do you think I feel? Not very, because I expect it, I, ex I feel he owes me that. See, unfair expectations eliminate the possibility for intimacy because intimacy requires freedom to have love. So once I take my expectation, you must do this and demand and seek to control, even if he does the thing, it's like a debt-debtor relationship. I'm not going to be that thankful because I expect it. I feel he owes me that. The second thing is, when you hand that jar of expectations to someone, do you know how it feels to them? All it feels like to them is pressure. It just feels like a bunch of pressure, which is why the best relationships are these relationships characterized by people who take all of their unfulfilled longings, as our scripture passage says, first to God. And they get filled up, and then they come together in this, what the Bible talks about, this like mutual submission. It's like a submission competition where both people are like in a race to the back of the line. Because they've been filled up. They have taken self-control. They have gone to God. They're coming to each other full, and then they're seeking to serve one another. So then you see relationships where like, you know, a couple's been married for 25 years, and one spouse has been cooking, like say, making a sack lunch every single day for 25 years. But you know what the spirit of the relationship is? Every single day, it's like, thank you so much for making me that lunch. Like, you totally didn't have to do that, even though you've been doing it for 25 years. Because I don't expect it. I'm not coming to you with all these expectations that I'm placing, handing over to you. What I am doing, though, I'm not ignoring wishes, hopes, and dreams. See, this is tricky, isn't it? These are still very important. And it is not to minimize these or to deny these or to pretend as if these don't exist. It's just simply to take these first to God and then to confide in one another about them. Not to dump them into the expectation jar and hand them over in a spirit of pressure that eliminates the opportunity for intimacy. You do not have, the Bible says, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is saying we do the same thing with God, right? We come to God with a bunch of expectations. An interesting question to discuss maybe over lunch, if you have the chance, what's the purpose of relationships? Because a lot of people will try to tell you the purpose of relationships is to fulfill you. But the Bible talks about our fulfillment coming from God. We just sang about it. In you is all I need. You're my breath. You're my life. So then we do need each other. But what do we need each other for? Is it to fulfill each other? No. It's to fulfill our purpose to bear God's image. See, God is triune. We cannot bear God's image alone. We need each other to fulfill this purpose. But a lot of times we think the purpose of relationships is that you would fulfill me. Instead of going to God first, why? You don't have? 
because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives. Okay, last story, Joey. Henry Cloud, the author of the book that we're giving away during this series called Boundaries, because I think it's one of the best books on relationships out there, um, he tells this great story about how he is doing his rounds at the hospital as a psychologist. And he goes to the nurse's station. He's, the nurse says, hey, there's this family that wants to see you. He goes, and there's a dad and a couple of adult children. And um, he says, you know, what's going on? And the, the dad says, I want you to fix my son. And uh, he says, looks at the son and says, well, what's wrong with you? And the son said, oh, it's not me. It's my brother. And he says, well, where's your brother? He's not here. Well, where is he? Well, he didn't want to come. Well, where is he? Well, he didn't want to come. And so uh, <laughs> Henry Cloud tells the story about how he starts asking questions like, well, what's going on with your son? And the dad says, well, first of all, he's a drug problem. And so as a doctor, he says, well, that can be a pretty big deal. You know, what's he on? He says, he's been smoking dope since he's 15, and now he's 23, and he's flunked out of college three times. And uh, Henry Cloud says, he's like, how do you do that? Like, I know how you flunk out once, but then how do you get in again after you? And the dad says, well, um, he didn't have good enough grades to get in in the first place, but I was on the board of trustees, so I got him in. And uh, then he partied so much that he flunked out. So, so I got him into this other school, and I thought, well, living on campus, that was really, you know, a lot of parties and stuff. So I, got, I bought him a condo off campus so that he wouldn't have all the distractions of the parties. And we didn't want work to interfere with his focus, so um, we're, you know, giving him money, and he flunked out again. And... Uh, at this point, he says, now, where is this son? He said, oh, he didn't want to come. He said, no, like, if I had a GPS, where is your son right now? He says, oh, he's, he's in Vail. He's in Vail? Like, what's he doing in Vail? Skiing. And uh, at this point, he says, um, sir, with all due respect, I can't help your son because he doesn't have any problems. And the dad's like, what do you mean he doesn't have any problems? He's got a drug problem. He's got a flunk out problem. He's got all these. He's like, um, sir, with all due respect, your son is in veil skiing, and you're in a psych hospital. And I'm a doctor, and I help people with problems. And I think your son is right. He doesn't have any problems. But you, on the other hand... <laughs> You got a lot of problems. You got a flunk out of school problem. You got a, you know, all these different. See, the basic uh, biblical principle that's being violated in that scenario is the law of sowing and reaping. Each of us has a yard, and sowing of seed is happening in that yard that is ours. The problem in that story is the son is sowing seeds of destruction and the father is owning the problems. He's sowing seeds of abusing drugs. His dad's taken on that as a problem. He's flunking out of school. His dad's taken that on as a problem. And so they needed to have a conversation about what love looks like and about sowing and reaping. And let's be honest. 
we have all done this. Like, we have all violated one another's boundaries. We do it all the time. Sometimes I violate your boundaries, and sometimes you violate mine. And that is why the hope of the gospel is that each and every week we come to the table of communion. And we come with this prayer, praying as Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You want to kill a relationship? Have unfair expectations. Seek to control him or her. You want to build a relationship? Do the one kind of control the Bible encourages, encourages us in, and that is self-control. Let's pray together. As we close, I'd invite you to pray these words that Jesus taught us to pray along with me, if you like, as we come to the table of communion. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we also have forgiven our trespassers. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.